We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Welcome to the gathering. We are so glad you're here with us today to worship the risen Savior. One more time. He is risen. Uh, real quick, um, we had a birth among us. We love to celebrate life, not only the new life that you have in Christ, uh, not only like Jesus' life, He's risen and lives, but uh, also um, Josh and Hannah Gwen had a baby. So this past week, they had a little girl. This church loves having girls. And uh, her name is Georgia Page. Isn't that a great name? Georgia Page. She weighed seven pounds, nine ounces. So she is like pure twisted steel muscle. She's ready to get after it. Mom and uh, Mom's doing great. She's got an appointment today at noon for a little jaundice, but uh, that's pretty normal. Um, so we're just thrilled for Josh and Hannah. Hey, if you're new with us, uh, we just especially want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Mike Newman. I'm the lead pastor here, uh, married to my wife, Hannah. We have four girls. And um, uh, one important thing to know about me is that we have two dogs. Uh, one of them's name is Vince. One of them is named Fito. You heard that right with a T. We didn't choose that name. She was given that name and then given to us. Uh, and Lucy and I... Uh, we are in charge of, of feeding Phyto. Where's Lucy? Where are you, sweetheart? There you are, aren't we? We're in charge. Uh, sometimes we forget, um, but uh, for the most part, they get fed every day. Um, Vince, my coonhound. If you've ever read Where the Red Fern Grows, that's what we have. Vince um, treats feeding time very transactional. Um, we empty out that dog food cup into his dish. He doesn't even look at me. It's not relational at all. It's it's just okay. I've got my food. He's a coon. So he goes in the backyard and like whatever's running around, he's hunting. Whether it's frogs or raccoons or moles or whatever. That's like that's his mo, right? But Fito is totally different. Fito, some of you know my. Fido girl, okay? And she does this strange thing with her teeth and her tongue when, like, when we wake up in the morning and she looks at you and you look at her and she kind of goes like this, her teeth. I, and I didn't think the dog smiled, but my Fido smiles, right? And she is so precious. And to her, feeding time is 100% relational. She doesn't even look at the food. She just looks at her master. She just wants you to bend down and go, good morning, hi, 
I see you, I love you, as she just basks in the glory of being with her master, Fico. A little bit different than Vince. It's a little strange, um, but my prayer for this morning is that you would be like Fico and not like Vince. Vince on Easter, uh, this is where the analogy breaks down, so just hang with me. Um, If you're going to be like Vince on Easter, it would be like going to your egg hunts, going to the family stuff, um, going, you know, getting dressed, going to church. And celebrating this day uh, in a very transactional, event-based, you saw it on your iCal and you show up and you're here. Uh, Whereas Phyto, um, if you're going to be like Phyto-like, you could care less of anything that's going around you. Um, But you just want the person of Jesus this morning. It's way more than an event that happened some 2,000 years ago. It's a, it's a person, and you want to celebrate Him and know Him more. And so that, that is, that's my prayer for you. I know it's a little weird, but that's really where we're headed this morning as I kind of direct your hearts to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus did the same thing. Uh, some years ago, uh, prior to Himself raising from the dead. He pastored people and directed them to a person, namely Himself. He looked at Him in the eye and He said, hey, I want you to know that I am the resurrection. I am the life. And even though you may die an earthly death, One day, if you believe in Me, that you will live forever. You will have eternal life. And so church, just a reminder, and just to share with you where we're headed, this day is way more than just an event marked out. Way more than just having some ham with the fam. This day is for you to love a person, and that person is Jesus. And so the title of this morning's message is, I Am the Resurrection. And today you'll see that there is no resurrection and that there is no life outside of Jesus. I love this story. This is the story of Lazarus, and he is a precursor uh, to Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Would you meet me in the book of John? We'll be in John chapter 11. If you're new to the Scriptures, if you're uh, uh, new to this whole thing, when we say John, that just means the book. There's 66 books in the Bible. And so if you open up to the middle, you'll probably hit like Psalms or Proverbs. Keep taking a right until you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And then when we say 11, that just means you're looking for big numbers. So big number 11. And I'm going to read at the top, starting in verse 1. The little number 1. How we do it here is that we read the Scriptures and then we explain it and we watch God use His Word by His Spirit to change lives. Verse number 1. This is the Word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who was anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters went to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So let's just pause there. This story starts off um, with, with some hard stuff. And it's, it starts off in a difficult place. Here we have Jesus' friend Lazarus, and he is ill. And later in the story, we find that he is dead. And immediately, just from reading those few verses, um, if you're like me, you're taken back a little bit. Because the, the lens that we tend to operate with as humans is this lens that says, if I do all the right things, if I hang around Jesus, if I, if I learn from Him, if I pray, if I anoint Him like, like Mary did, then nothing will go wrong. I won't have any trouble in this life. It'll be smooth and sweet. And any sort of bitter taste in my mouth that life brings shouldn't be there. I don't like it. We would say we detest any sort of hardship or suffering. Wouldn't that be true, church? Just don't like the bitter taste. For a moment, um, let's just be a fly on the wall in the family of a Jewish home during Passover. Okay? So imagine yourself, you're, you're just watching this family celebrate Passover. This is the Feast of Remembrance. A feast that the Jewish people um, celebrate each year and they look back on when God uh, redeemed them. Got them out of slavery from the land of Egypt. They exited, the, the, exited Egypt. They wandered for 40 years. God said, you know what? That was a great work that I did. Um, that that I, I split the Red Sea. You guys crossed through it. I want you to remember this. For the rest of your life, through all generations, through, through a, a meal. Uh, these meals traditionally have, have four questions that the kids are meant to ask the parents. It's supposed to stir on conversation. Parents, isn't that a nice thing? Like when kids are asking and we're talking during dinner, right? These particular questions were also to give kids the words to say with regards to figuring out certain um, uh, food and the meaning of the food. Each particular dish had a special meaning. One question that I just want to highlight was this. The oldest son would always start and ask the question to the father. He would say, Father, why do we eat bitter herbs tonight at this special meal? And the answer was this. that Every home would answer this the same way. It was scripted. It says this, the Jews of old ate bitter herbs on Passover night, as do the Jews today, because our fathers were slaves in Egypt and our lives were made bitter. Can you imagine describing someone's whole life as being made bitter? As followers of Christ, we too taste the bitterness of life. And I'm sure even as you recall, last year on Easter, you can think of at least one bitter circumstance or happening or event or relationship just these past 12 months. I know that we all detest bitter situations and bitter circumstances. 
bitter foods physically um, are healthy for you. They lower your blood sugar and they have other health benefits. Bitter circumstances spiritually help the believer. They're used by God in two particular ways. One, they're to help us identify, uh, to identify with Christ's sufferings so that we would be made like him. And then two, they help us follow the pattern that Christ set forth in his scripture. God uses suffering and hardships, we say, for our good and his glory. So this is the scene that we're stepping into this morning. Not all sweet and savory, we've got some bitterness. And with the story of Lazarus, the, the bitterness of Lazarus's death is so, uh, you, just, you just can't describe it. Um, there's weeping. There's, there's mourning over his death. But also there's something else going on. There's bitterness towards Jesus' timing. And if you're interacting with this text in an honest manner, you're probably a little bit frustrated with the story of Lazarus. If you're, if you're reading it with fresh eyes, because Mary, Martha, they call for him. Hey, help us out. Lazarus is ill. Jesus waits two days. And you're like, come on, Lord. You're late. What are you doing? Andrew never felt like that. Andrew never felt like the Lord is late in terms of timing. Me too. Isaiah 55 says, but His ways are not our ways. Uh, ever heard the, the great quote about God's timing? It goes like this. God is never late. He's rarely early. And He's always exactly on time. <laughs> His time. Isn't that true? And so Jesus, our Lord, was, was apparently waiting so that He could display His compassion towards His children. So that it could be revealed even more so. And that His power could be clearly seen and experienced. He had a plan. He wanted to glorify the Father and Himself in this passage. And so when He arrived, Jesus and Martha had this fascinating conversation, to say the least. It was a great conversation that gave us insight in the person of Jesus, His work, even His future work, and the future which is still yet to happen. And so let's, let's let our eyes go there. Let me just set up the scene. Um, we're going to be in verse 22. So Jesus comes on the scene. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days. He's in a tomb. Martha and Mary were being comforted by people all around. And Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Okay? In verse 22, look at it with me. It says, but even now, this is still Martha, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So it's kind of easy to dog Martha right off the bat, like she didn't have any faith. But, but even look, look at that first statement. If you would have been here, my brother would have lived. It's just great faith in Jesus, right? So we don't have to dog her too much. She's saying, 
If your presence was here, you have the power to keep people alive. And then her second statement is so profound. It's, it's, dis, it's displaying that she has a magnificent trust in her Lord. She trusts God. Um, if you've been watching the news, you know that there was a recent Nashville shooting. And this was absolutely horrible. This was evil. A Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee was brutally attacked. Three children died. Uh, three adults were murdered. Um, and this past Sunday, Covenant School meets in Covenant Presbyterian Church. This past Sunday... Um, Covenant Presbyterian Church was was meeting, and I'm sure, I'm sure, leading up to Sunday and sitting in church together, their emotions were all over the place. But together, just seven days ago, they raised their voices, and they didn't shake their fists at heaven, and they didn't say things like, how could you, God? By faith, they cried, how long? <laughs> and together as one church, they sang the doxology together. It's trust. I feel like that's exactly where Martha's at. In the midst of tremendous pain, she's got some trust. Look at verse 23 with me. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Uh, and so let's just, let's just pause for a moment. Martha's response uh, deserves some attention. And so she, right now, accepts Lazarus as dead. She's, she shares with Jesus that she, he's dead, but I have faith in you, and I have faith that one day that He will rise again. This is true teaching. Uh, this is not the resurrection of Jesus that is shortly to come. As we know, she didn't know that. She's talking about one day that everyone who believes in the Messiah, who believes in God, that, that He will raise bodies. And their bodies, if they believe, will meet up with their souls in the clouds and they will receive a glorified, perfect, renewed, and forever body and will live eternity with Him. So she believes. Is that true? Yes! All those with a little bit of backache say, Amen! That's right. Uh, this teaching was not popular during this time. Uh, the religious leaders called the Sadducees uh, rejected this notion that there would be a future resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> I had to, I know. It's a little pastor's joke, right? But a quick note, just to say that even today, it is not popular to believe the truth. It's not, it's not popular to hold fast to the teachings of Scripture. But back to the story. Jesus' response tells Martha that He's actually talking about a, a nearer, a closer, a more immediate resurrection for Lazarus. 
But he doesn't just say an event. He pastors her. And he brings her more so out of an abstract idea, a truth, a, a true idea, but more so directs her to a person right in front of her, namely himself. Look at it with me, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus takes her belief on what will happen on the last day and personalizes it to believe in Him alone. Him alone who actually does the work of resurrecting people. Who actually brings forth resurrection power and life. He just says, hey, it's, it's, it's me. It's me. This is how Jesus, this is how He rolls in the book of John. Right? First, He like gives him bread and then He says, I'm the bread. And then, He's like, hey, I'm the resurrection. And then He's going to bring forth something great. He's going to say, I'm the resurrection. I'm the razor. <laughs> this is what I do. What is He doing? He says all these things so that you, this is the theme of John, would believe in Him. You can't find hope for the resurrection to come or eternal life outside anyone except the person of Jesus Christ. And so He's saying, if you would believe in Me, you will find that I am the source of everything. I breathe life into you with salvation. I sustain you. I empower you. I uphold you. I am your all and all acts in Him. We live and breathe and move and find our being. It's everything in Jesus. This is the part where I'm urging you to be more like my dog Fito here. Not just transactional, but relational. Church, today, don't just celebrate an Easter event like you would any other Hallmark holiday. But celebrate a person who has changed your life for all of eternity. Amen? This is what Jesus wants of Martha. This is what He wants for you today. He's like, hey Martha, just me. Just me. Just, just me. Let me ask a question here though. Is Jesus... Is Jesus just wanting to have a, a nice teaching lesson? Or is He just wanting to perform a, a nice miracle um, so that we would have something to talk about on Resurrection Sunday for ages to come, right? Is that what He's doing? Like, what is going on in the very heart of Jesus Christ? What I'm asking is, what is fueling or, or motivating the heart of Jesus towards this miracle. Because if we can figure out this, this question, if we can get to the answer, then we can know and we can learn and it'll fuel and motivate our heart as we journey towards Christ and as, as we learn Him and grow in the power of His resurrection. What is going on here? 
Answer, he hates sin and death. We sang about it. Now we're going to see it in the text. So the conversation continues. Now Mary's on the scene. And Mary says, same thing. If you would have been here, and then Jesus looks on the scene, and verse 33, check it out with me. Find it with your eyes. It says he's deeply moved. I'll read it for you. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also were weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. That deeply moved, that word, that, 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 is that like the same kind of like feeling that you get after reading like a Nicholas Sparks book? Or is it a little different, right? Uh, John uses this unique word to describe what Jesus was going through. It's the same word that, that, that is used to describe horses when they're experiencing incredible anger. Imagine a horse. They're bucking. Their, their, their nostrils are like blowing out and flaring. And that's the, the, the technical word that is used. An angry nostril flare. This horse, unbridled, untrained, angry. Are you imagining it with me? That's Jesus right now. He's deeply moved. Anger. A disturbed stallion. And he's so angry. Why? Because this is not how it should have been. My friend's dead. And I hate it. I hate death. I hate that sin causes death. It's not how it's supposed to, do, to, to be. I hate this. Anger. What else? Look at John uh, 11.35 with me. When I was a kid, I was in this program that would um, give incentives for certain um, Bible memory verses. You had to memorize like five or ten at a pop. And I would always choose this word, this, this uh, verse. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five, Two words. I'll start in 34 though. Okay, ready? And he said, where have you laid him? This is Jesus talking. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And here's 35. What motivates, what fuels the miracle that is about to come? Jesus Do you see Jesus there? Do you see Him angry? Do you see Him weeping because of the cause of sin today? He hated death. Hated Listen to this. Jesus' love for the Father, Jesus' love for you, and His hatred for sin and death fueled and motivated all of his life and all of his actions to lead up to the cross to die and to gain victory and stand victorious over sin and death. He wept. Listen to this theologian. His name is Octavius Winslow. Sounds like a bad guy in a Spider-Man movie. So completely 
Was Jesus bent on saving sinners by the sacrifice of Himself? He created the tree upon which He was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail Him to the accursed wood. Oh, the depth of Jesus' love for sinners. Friend, you don't have to live under the fear of death and the guilt of your sin anymore. Because Jesus has accomplished victory over sin and over death by His death and resurrection. Amen? This is not just a nice historical event. This, is, this has everything to do with you and everything to do with your everyday life. And yet, three days later, He rose again. He stood victorious. He appeared to many. And he ascended into heaven, we read. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, last Sunday, Palm Sunday, we said that we'd talk about four movements. The, the cult, the cross. Uh, we talked about um, how we would look in the empty grave. And Paul read Matthew 28. And the throne. It's a part of the story. Part of our Gospel. Why? It's significant that he sat down. The Old Testament predicted it, that Jesus the Messiah would be seated. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Later in the New Testament, Hebrews 1, 3 says, He made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so when Jesus now is sitting, it's this declaration to us. He's showing us that His work on the cross is complete. The work of redemption is finished. Just like when you sit down after you mowed the grass, you're sipping a little lemonade, and you just enjoy your work. Now, Jesus' work is complete. Look at verse 36 with me. So the Jews said, See how He loved Him? looking at his weeping, looking at his anger. And verse 37 says, but some of them said, could, he not, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? <laughs> What's the answer? Of course! That's a great point! He could have! Just like Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, could have called angels down could have called a whole host of them down and said, and said, hey, this hurts. Take me out of here. Rescue me from this situation. I don't like it. But He chose to stay on the cross to purchase a bride for Himself. Jesus chose here. He had intention. He had planned. He wanted to gain a people. He wanted to buy them. He wanted to be victorious over sin and death. And here he chose in the manner in which this story is unfolding. And verse 43 says, When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You know why I said Lazarus? Because our Jesus, if he would have just said, come out, Everyone in that tomb would have came out. That's the power of Jesus. He called out 
Lazarus. That's power. You know, I was just enamored with this story this week, reading it with fresh eyes. Jesus, let's just dwell on this for a moment. Jesus spoke. And someone, maybe from here to this door, came alive because of the power of his voice and walked out of a tomb. This is consistent with the manner in which the Son has operated since the beginning of time. In the Old Testament, it says that the Son spoke and the very world came into existence. The sun, moon, stars. But He created them. Colossians says so too. In the New Testament, with the power of His voice, the paralytic was being lowered down and, and all this ceiling and sticks were, were coming down and falling and, and people were looking around and He, with His voice, didn't touch Him. He said, your sins are forgiven. And now, get up and walk. And the guy did. Power. And now, we see him in the Gospels speaking and a man comes back to life. And in these days, 2023, we see that his very written word does the same thing. His written Word resurrects spiritually dead people and brings them back to life. James 1, I've been working on this passage with a buddy. It says, Receive now with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Isn't that wild? That the very words of Scripture are able to resurrect a person to bring them to life from where they were, which was spiritually dead. And not only this, this is not just a salvation thing. He can also bring back, He can revive your dying, decaying, or lack of desire um, in, in any aspect of your life. It goes like this, Lord, I know I'm saved, but my... And you fill in blank. My marriage is dying. I need you to bring it to life. I need you to resurrect it. And God, by His Spirit and through His Word, does that. And I've heard your stories and I've seen Him continually breathe life into your life once again. How? How in the world does that happen? How does he bring a dying marriage back to life? It's when people, by his word and by his spirit, they, they submit. They surrender. They lay down their lives and they say, we're going to follow the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do what is said in the Scriptures. And through those tools, those divine tools that God has granted us, He breathes life. It's by grace. It's not by your discipline, not by your coolness, not by little tips or tricks. God's power resurrects stuff. 
That's what he does. That's what he did. That's what he still is doing. Amen? Check it out. Here's how the story ends. Verse 44. The man who died came out. (laughs) So awesome. His hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And listen to what Jesus first says to Lazarus. Unbind him and let him go. So, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, the, the resurrection is a simple message. The Easter story is, is clear. Jesus died and He rose again on Sunday. And He won. He beat sin and death. Not just a weekend to remember. It's a person to know and love and give your life to. In church, His resurrection power, the power that rolled the stone away, that brought back Lazarus to life, that same power raised Jesus from the dead. And it's still working today. He's still raising people spiritually from death to life. And He's still resurrecting things in your life. Today, friends, remember there's no resurrection and there's no life outside of Jesus Christ. Let's close in worship. Uh, Worship team, would you come up here? And let's remember and let's celebrate once, once more. And we'll keep on doing it Sunday after Sunday. Not just celebrating a historical event that changed the course of history, but we're celebrating a person who changed your life and all of eternity. The resurrection and the life. Would you stand with us?